This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, in caverns deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 655 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Who is our, you're asking? Well, my name is Matt Baum, and I'm your head number one. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two. Once again, we're reviewing new comics from the last two weeks. And then it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to make our must-read picks for next Wednesday. After that, we're going to give you a sneak peek at our Patreon Extra Ask a Nerd segment. And this time, it's an exploration of Dick Grayson's pre- and post-crisis character, his ramifications on Blue Haven, and his super cute tight butt. So, let's He's get got this one. mind-mangling episode started with review time in the ziggurat! This week's review pile comes from the last two Wednesdays of February, the 16th and the 23rd. That's today. And as always, we start off with last week. This one has it all. A gang of Aquamen or Aqua's men. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure Aquamans. it out. Aquamans. Aquamans. Sorry. Go. There you go. A new Iron Fist, an old Ghost Rider, and a return to G.I. Joe's Saturday morning cartoon roots. Uh, even though I think for us here in the Midwest, it was always on on weekdays. Yeah. Uh, but. That's neither here nor there. Why don't you lead us off? Let's start with said new Iron Fist and Iron Fist number one from Marvel. It was written by Alyssa Wong with art by Michael YG or Yig. I'm not really sure which one it's supposed to be. I think it's Yig. He's like a Cthulian god <laughs> or something. I mean, it's an Asian name. I don't think it's an abbreviation. Sometimes I'll see it capitalized Y and capitalized G. So I don't really know. Here's your solicit. After giving up his power to save the world, Danny Rand believes he's seen the last of the Iron Fist. But when demons begin to attack cities around the world, a mysterious newcomer in a familiar mask, I almost forgot to do this, appears, hands blazing with the Chi of Shalau the Undying, who is this new Iron Fist. And does his power really come from the Dragon of Kunlun or from something far more sinister? The story here opens with a very familiar setup. As the solicit states, Danny is no longer Iron Fist. We saw him give up his powers in the recent Iron Fist Heart of the Dragon miniseries, but the setup doesn't stop there. Also, not the person he gave the powers to in that series, but not important. Alyssa Wong goes on to lay out the entire origin of the new Iron Fist, including his previous story. By now, you've probably heard the new Iron Fist was formerly Lin Lee, the Swordmaster, spoiler alert, from the latest Agents of Atlas story. And in principle, I am fine with that. I can't say I cared much for the Swordmaster, and this new status quo might make him more interesting. You may recall some fans asking for an Asian Iron Fist back when Marvel announced the Netflix Iron Fist casting. Well, here it is, and I think that's great. Danny is, of course, still featured, but he looks to be moving toward a teacher role as Lee didn't get the full Kun Loon experience and training, it doesn't look like, which is kind of odd, because I think maybe you got to do that first before you get the Iron Fist powers, but we're going to find out. <laughs> I mean, he already obviously has some kind of training. Yes, he's got something going on. It's all a fine setup, but the book moves at such a fast pace that nothing has time to really feel important. While the identity of the new Iron Fist was 
fairly obvious. I've seen Marvel stretch out even more obvious reveals to at least the last page of the first issue, you know, to make the new character's intro feel important. Wong's script feels like an all-ages comic, dropping origins and new missions in the reader's lap at near video game speed, and it, and it really took away from Iron Fist and this character's status quo, I guess. The art is fine. I've definitely seen better from Yig or YG, but like the story, it just felt a little rushed. Nothing in this comic had any time to breathe, which is fine if the first issue is set up as an action piece that leads to a reveal. That's not what they did here, though. I like the idea of a new character's Iron Fist. There's an interesting twist based on his old mission, and the teacher-slash-instructor theme is a kung fu tale as old as Chinese mythology. This team just needed to settle down a little bit and let the story unfold. Otherwise, it's just kind of hard to buy that this character is even going to be staying in this role for very long. Like, it feels like they're moving at the speed of a four-issue limited series that they've got to get all this stuff told. We'll see where it goes from here, but so far, I can only give Iron Fist 1 a skim it. Point of order, uh, you're not wrong. His own Twitter account does have YG in caps. Yeah, uh, so I don't know. We'll uh, just call him YG. You know, we'll call him YG. I'm just going to call him Michael YG. He is a new artist to me. Um, perhaps he's done other work in the past. He's got uh, three credits on Marvel.com, and they are the next uh, this issue and the next two issues of Iron Fist. Looks like he did a lot of so, Avatar comics. The uh, Avatar, uh, the Last be, Airbender. Yes, perhaps, perhaps. Um, he did some stuff but, with Gene uh, Yang. I didn't. Uh, you're a big fan of those Avatar comics. No, right? I, I just I recognize his name and I know I've seen better. All right. I thought this was uh, way too fast paced, which is a very strange yeah. complaint most of the time. It's not something you normally hear from a Marvel comic, which they, uh, especially not a modern Marvel comic. Like they, they tend to like stretch things out. Um, and like you said, I think this had too much going on and nothing had a chance to land. Yeah. Um, there, there was just too many plates in the air and, and or too many balls in the air and some of them got dropped. We get, we get this uh, adventure at the bank where he meets Danny Rand. Then we get a quick flashback where we learn his identity and how he became Iron Fist. And then all of a sudden, he's living with a family in Kunlun. Yeah. But he's not in Kunlun because he's the Iron Fist. He just happens to be in Kunlun. I don't think Swordmaster comes from Kunlun. No, he was like, I woke up there after this thing. Yeah. That was it. It was uh, like, oh, my right, sword yeah, exploded. Right, because Shao Lao rescued him, right? And I woke up there. Like, it's that how you get there? Because I thought you were supposed to, like, climb a mountain and there's a gateway. No, well, it's, it's, in, like, it's, in phase with the, it's in phase with the earth every 10 years, blah, blah, blah. There yeah. are doors all over the place. I, okay, fair enough. Um, and we For a place that's only in phase with earth every 10 years, people come and go from Kunlun pretty frequently. It seems to happen, yeah. Yeah, and so we knew his identity. We knew he used to be sword Swordmaster. We knew that Danny... Uh, used to be Iron Fist, and now he's trying to figure out this mystery, and we've got this new family to deal with, and and we this mystery about how he became Iron Fist without going through the usual ritual of becoming Iron Fist, and he's got there are all of these elements swirling so quickly that you don't have a ch the book does not have a chance to focus on any of them properly. I would have liked to see this issue end with him taking off the mask and revealing that he's swords master. Right. Sword master. Because the whole thing feels like, oh, we already told you this story, but here's a quick recap. Right, right. But they and haven't. Like, they never told us a story anywhere else. And I think, like, I, I have been 
critical in the past of Marvel's insistence uh, on shoving characters born from video games, more specifically, mobile click games, you know, match three bejeweled clones and whatnot into the Marvel universe and then asking us to care about them. And I stand by that, but I did have a great conversation with our friend Carl, a friend of the show, Carl Smith, Camarillo Brillo, who asked, what is the, what do you think the difference is between these characters and characters from when we were kids, like Firestar, who was born from the uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends cartoon or, or any other character or, you know, Rom, you know, any other character that shows up, that just shows up in the Marvel universe. And where it came down on the answer was that yes, they came out of nowhere, but we also like, they didn't immediately make Firestar an X-Man, a leading member of the X-Men. Right. (laughs) They didn't make Firestar the new human torch. No. And I think that's, that's definitely a problem. If you want us to care about Swordmaster, well, you just took Swordmaster away from his identity. And now you want us to care about that character as Iron Fist. And you really run the risk of making Iron Fist fans mad at a new character becoming Iron Fist and making Swordmaster fans mad that they made him stop being Swordmaster. Right. You know, like you could have just pissed everybody off. Yeah, <laughs> and I just, I, I think that these characters have potential to be good characters. Sure. And I'm certainly all for more representation from all corners of the globe. Um, but I just don't think, like, introducing a character like White Fox or Arrow or Sword or Swordmaster or whomever. I don't think it just immediately shoving them in the spotlight is a way to make me care. No, and like it, unless Marvel took Marvel took years and years and years to build up the stories of Rom and the Transformers sure. and GI sure. Joe and and F- Christar is a bad example. That but, book got canceled. But let's, but let's take that out of the equation entirely and just say there's a new Iron Fist. Sure. And it doesn't matter where they came from. Maybe it's a brand new character. Right. You they, need to this establish, was a bad way to introduce them. You need to establish something better than that. And and jumping it from another character that you really just introduced a couple of years ago. Yeah. Two or three years ago. And go, all right, he's not doing that anymore. He's Iron Fist now. Well, why not just make I mean, him Wolverine fact, while we're at it? Let's make him Professor I, X, you know? <laughs> in, in, in fact, I, I think that, in fact, I think that it's, it's done an additional disservice by, uh, by taking away the option to uh, to say, well, at least it's a new character and yeah. there's no baggage. And you like, had no, there's a, a whole bunch of baggage. And you also were not had, given any chance. You also had an Asian character, Pai Mei, who became Iron Fist, and she right. appears to just be gone. Right. So I I just don't know what's going on. Maybe all of this is explained, but you should give us a wink to that in this issue, yeah. as opposed to doing all the other hyper fast crap they were trying to do. Right. And, and so I, I'm giving this a skim it because it wasn't terrible and I thought the art was okay. It needed to um, be better though. But it, this issue, it, it, it needed to be better. Yeah. And I, I like, I'll give them credit. Like at least there's a fun mystery about why he's Iron Fist all of a sudden. I suppose. I, I do think it does a disservice to a lot of the fans that wanted to see an Asian character represented as Iron Fist to get rid of that white messiah you know, thing, and I totally understand that. And this kind of feels like they went, bang, fine, there you go, Asian Iron Fist. Let's get, sure. let's get moving. You know, like that's, yeah, you got to do it better than that, guys. Come on. Yeah. Spider Woman is great, but it's time for me to be myself, to be Firestar. From the mean streets of Kunlun to the gritty bowels of the Terror Drum, it's GI Joe. 
Saturday Morning Adventures number one from IDW. It's written by Eric Burnham with art by Dan Schoening. It's $3.99. Here's your solicit. G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. Never gives up. Well, we'll stay you know the story. The but now, Cobra might have found their most versatile weapon yet. Can even G.I. Joe stop the Aladdin initiative? <laughs> Which I Find love. Out. Like, it's exactly what you think it is. Yeah, it's, it's, there is, it's Three not just wishes, a name. A purple genie, everything. <laughs> yeah, might as well be Shaquille O'Neal coming out of that thing. Find out in this special Saturday morning send up based on the classic 1980s cartoon and brought to you by the superstar creative team. Blah, blah, blah. We talked about those guys. They normally do Ghostbusters. Um, first off, point of order. Matt is right. At least here in Nebraska, uh, G.I. Joe was a syndicated cartoon that was on every day at like the crack of damn dawn. It was on early, right? Or Or after school. Yeah. And this was not on local television. We got it on the USA Cartoon Express, which was like USA was a cable channel. We got Space Ghost and stuff on USA Cartoon Express. I think G.I. Joe and Transformers were on network TV. Oh, see, I thought Um, it was on USA. I don't remember. No, no, no. I, I, I I think we got, I think Thundercats... I think all the toy cartoons were on regular network TV, Transformers, G.I. Joe. Um, but space, but uh, USA Cartoon Express is where you had to go for the weird shit like Herculoids and Space Ghost, all the stuff they repackaged from the 60s. Sure, sure. Saturday Morning Adventures is pitch perfect. It's joining the ranks of the Star Trek and Transformers comics that have come before it. Burnham and Shoning have brilliantly captured the tone, the voice, and the look of the G.I. Joe cartoon in such a complete way, I almost forgot that this wasn't a brand new story. The premise is goofy as hell, with Cobra Commander summoning a literal genie from Aladdin's lamp. Yes, Aladdin's lamp. He was the diamond in the rough. That he went lamp. into the Cave of Wonders <laughs> and rescued. Yeah. Yep. It's not even the dumbest thing he did on the actual show. Naturally, he uses that power in a completely idiotic way, but, you know, he still has a few issues to figure it out. Dan Schoening has completely transformed himself from his usual stylized cartoony look to one that invokes the design of the cartoon almost completely. It is uncanny. The best part of it all is that G.I. Joe Saturday Morning Adventures number one ends with a classic public service announcement updated for today's youth, but still presented in a way that will tug at the heartstrings of old guys like me. Giving this a buy it and buying it is half the battle. The Hey Kids Comics fandom page for the USA Cartoon Express does, in fact, say G.I. Joe and Transformers were both on Interesting. USA. <laughs> and Voltron. Wildcats was there, too. <laughs> I do remember Voltron. Yeah. Uh, now, I think it may have E-Man. depended on your market because I, I think be. I, I definitely remember like things like G.I. Joe and Thundercats airing on Channel 42 sure. in, in Omaha. So. I mean, you either love these or you don't. And that's where it's that's the end of it. I saw there's like a G.I. Joe uh, toy Twitter that I follow. And they're really cool. They love old G.I. Joe cartoons. In the, in I love that Twitter. And the guy put up, he was like, it was like Battle Armor Dad. I think his name is something like that. And he was like, did anybody read this? Was it fun? And people were like, this is stupid. Blah, blah. Like, settle down, dude. They're doing, they're literally doing the cartoon and comic format. It's, it's 100%. Right. Yeah. And it could if, be a script that they illustrated. Yes. And if you don't like the cartoon... And when I say doing, literally doing the cartoon, that's exactly what it looks like. No question. These look like animation cells. So if you don't like that, you won't like this. I thought it was a fun throwback. I'll be real honest. Is this something I would buy? No. 
It isn't. But it was very fun to read, and it takes a lot of talent to do this, and they nailed it. I'm giving it a very high skim it because it's just not something that well, I. Well, but would here's throw the thing, Matt. At. You're not going to sit in the. You're not going to stand in the comic shop and read the whole thing without paying for no, it. No, like I agree. But what I'm saying is, I couldn't tell someone, "Yes, you need to go throw money at this." I could. I can't do that. I could say it's fun if you like it, by all means. But it's probably a skim it for what it is. Let's talk about some real war comics now, the kind with no action whatsoever. The Lion and the Eagle, number one from Aftershock. This is written by Garth Ennis with art by PJ Holden. There isn't even a single genie in this comic. (laughs) No genies. Here is your solicit. Oversized prestige format miniseries from the mind of Garth Ennis. I hate it when they start them like that. 1944, Imperial Japan still commands most of Asia. Determined to regain their hold on Burma, the British send a special forces unit, the Chindits. Deep behind Japanese lines, their mission is to attack the enemy wherever they find them. What awaits them is a nightmare equal to anything the Second World War can deliver. Colonel Keith Crosby and Dr. Alistair Whittemore have an old scores to settle. Being veterans of the long retreat through Burma two years before, but neither the jungle nor the foe have gotten any less savage. And when the shooting starts, the Japanese descend on the smaller British force in their midst. Every man will be tested to his limits. I'm not going to read the rest of this, but I will say PJ Holden, not a name that I totally recognize, worked on The String Bags, World of Tanks, and Judge Dredd. So probably a British uh, A lot of Garth Ennis stuff, probably. Yeah. yeah. Ennis has been writing amazing war comics in the spirit of the legendary Silver Age stuff that we saw from Joe Kubert, like Our Army at War, for years now. And it's very, very good. It's painstakingly researched history and dialogue. And what readers get in these books is an amazing piece of comic war history that is uncompromising look at the hell that is war. With that said, (laughs) with a solicit like this one, I expected a little bit of action or at least any action, but instead, Ennis and Holden used the story to flesh out two different characters that met in under terrible circumstances only to survive and become friends. It is very well written. This is a great story that gets straight to the nightmare of the British campaign against the Japanese through two men talking about their situation, basically, which I'll be honest. It can be slow for those looking for an action-packed enemy ace issue, for example. Holden reminds me of Ennis' collaborator Carlos Esguera. His art is very clean, and his face work is excellent. He just doesn't get much to show off his talents here. But that's not what this comic is for, either. If you're looking for a thoroughly realistic, thoughtful, true-to-history comic adaptation of the bloody World War II conflict in the South Pacific, this comic is is for you. Just know that the action, like in war, will be sudden and brutal with long periods of waiting in between. (laughs) I'm giving this a skim it because it's just not necessarily the war story that I want to read. I think if I sat down and read this whole thing, it would probably be very gripping. It would probably pull you in, but maybe splitting it up even into longer prestige issues it's not quite pulling me in. You know what I mean? I have a yeah. feeling this next issue is going to be horrifying because they're going into a terrible situation. But it's like you almost got to give me some of the gore, some of the viscer. We can't just talk about it the whole time. I mean, we got a little bit. We a got tiny a little. little bit. We got a little. 
but he was mainly talking about it. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, So I read this and I I was torn because I agree. It is very well written and well drawn. I thought it was beautiful. Well, and even Uh, like the uniforms, the guns, this is meticulous in its research. Yes. It's, it's a very well done piece of comic work, but it is also very dry. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that it's not interesting to the right audience. It's just that I am not really that audience. I'm right there with you. And and, uh, like, I I hate to be basic about it, but if I'm going to watch or read a a war story, I want there to be some stuff blowing up and guys getting shot. Some war. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, like I I am like, this isn't like, can you imagine Ken Burns's civil war, the comic book, how boring that would be. Like, I want, I want. A, a, a gritty war story like I've seen Ennis deliver in the past and again it's not fair to, for me to judge this based on his past works necessarily but this was just in the telling of it it is very very dry um, I I also kind of thought that like there was a missed opportunity that when we open the, uh, the the story we get this really long excellent scene between uh, Crosby and this Chinese soldier working for the British. And I got the impression, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but uh, uh, like historically, but I got the impression that there was way more to that than just like this one random Chinese guy that happens. Like, I, I think maybe they worked with the Chinese to fight. Well, yes. And that's where the story is going. And, and, and But see that, and that's where I thought that there was a missed opportunity. It's like, that's, I want to read that. Instead, we get two white dudes on in a truck. Well, for twenty pages, I agree, but I, I think it opens there, sets up how the two white dudes meet, and then those two white dudes who work for the British with Indian troops and Chinese troops will end up in a position with and, both. And and that might be, and that's great if that's true. But as a first issue, I found this to be a bit. Yeah. Hard to connect with. Um, like it's certainly it, it, the, the story is very horrifying. It's very well written, very beautifully drawn. Yeah. Nothing to take nothing, taking nothing away from from the talent involved. But it didn't hook me um, because it felt like a story that's waiting for the interesting parts to kick in. It's very dry, very realistic and probably very true to what day to day was like. Yeah, no, I lot of wait, that's, hurry up and wait. That's what they say in the military, right? All of that is fair. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily make for an interesting comic book. It's totally a skim agree. it from me. Totally agree. There is no funny transition to go from the horrors of war in the South Pacific theater to a celebration of black characters and voices in Marvel Voices Legacy number one. There's your transition. Yeah. That's the best I if got. If you're not it a comedy is, writer, there certainly isn't. I'm not that. a comedy writer. I'm not. <laughs> I'm I'm more of an improv guy, and there were just there was just no yes anding my way out of that. Uh, this is written by Various with art by Various. The price is five dollars ninety nine. Here's your solicit. We've done it again. Another star packed Voices special graces the stands for Black History Month. Well, great job, Marvel. You're really tooting your own horn. Yeah. There. Oh, hey. It, it, it's a, let me it's help a, you pat that back, Marvel. It, it is certainly <laughs> it is certainly wonderful, but like you don't get to be the guy that says, "Hey, great job." Stormbreaker Natasha Bustos makes her writing debut with a gorgeous tale of Wakanda. Superstar novelist Victor Laval writes Moon Girl like you've never seen her before. Jessica Jones and Cloak and Dagger TV writer Jay Holtham explores the legacy of Sam Wilson. 
Captain America. Amazing Spider-Man scribe Cody Ziegler visits Marvel's Black Heroes through the ages in a celebration highlighting Luke Cage's 50th anniversary. And there's so much more to come, including an incredible lineup of new and established artists. Marvel's voices. Oh, it's Marvel's voices. No wonder I couldn't find it in the search. There you go. Marvel's Voices is the program for every fan. Don't let this one pass you by. It's the program they, for every fan. All right. I think the 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 Marvel's Voices initiative uh, as a as a as a whole. Oh, okay. yeah. Not as a program. <laughs> no, 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 not a not, not not a literal program. Uh, this is in fact the latest in a series of one shots featuring the work of marginalized characters and creators. This issue happens to celebrate Black History Month. Like all anthologies, there are some stories that I thought were okay. Well, some, like the Moon Girl story, uh, were exceptional. I loved that story. But all of the stories had something to enjoy about them, and I liked the wide breadth of characters on display. This is a true celebration of characters and creators of color, and every story reflects that. I also appreciated that they focused on much shorter stories, sometimes even just one-page vignettes or as matt likes to call them viganettis you're the one that's mispronouncing it so okay in order to maximize the amount of creators characters and content they can fit in the issue in addition to the comics themselves there is a lot of written content from creators that are fans of these characters including interviews character spotlights and quick primers about a number of characters that may or may not have been featured in the issue itself some you may have never even heard of. Some creators we know, like Natasha Bustos. Whoa, whoa, and whoa, whoa, Cody's- whoa. She did not become a Stormbreaker, so you can just refer to her as Natasha Bustos. You will refer to her as Stormbreaker Natasha Bustos. Okay, sir? Yeah, I, I apologize. <laughs> Some creators we know, like Stormbreaker Natasha Bustos Better. and Cody Ziegler, who has been one of the uh, team of writers on Amazing Spider-Man currently are here, but I was pleasantly surprised to find that most of the creator names were new to me. And I think that this is a great use of this sort of project. Amplify the voices, haha pun intended, of new talent that might not normally be on the radar of most readers. All of that said, Marvel did tease me by putting Night Thrasher on the cover and then refused to give me a Night Thrasher story, but leave it. <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying hard not to hold that against them. I'm giving this a buy it. Um and and I will say this. I because unlike some anthologies that are just like it's Valentine's Day. Here's a $10 80-page issue about love stories right, and right. 8 of the 10 are bad. You know, this is an anthology with a purpose. I think it is a worthwhile while purpose and I think it is a success. Okay, so I think the most interesting stuff for me was the written stuff, like the the essay stuff. I liked the written stuff, yeah. And I really liked the there was like a, a thing in the back that basically showed like the uh, Marvel Universe, the new class, and it was a bunch of characters that right. they and it, here's their first appearance, and here's who created them. Like that's really cool. The stories themselves, they were fine. I thought all the stuff in the anthologies, there wasn't anything that really jumped out and grabbed me. I liked the Moon Girl and Devil, Devil Dinosaur story but for the most part they were either really short or just okay so they're, sh- they're short yeah. yeah i'm giving this a skim it not because it's bad but as far as anthologies go you know like you said some of it's good some of it's fine nothing was terrible but i just found it all to be kind of cute at best and nothing really well, stood out of me as great 
So so here here's my counterpoint to that, and I'm like not going to argue against your rating, uh, but I'm saying that you are reading this you are reading this particular anthology for exposure to the creators and the characters, and not I get necessarily that. because you just like. You just really got to follow Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I totally understand to that, but I'm also going to judge it as I would judge any other story. Sure, written and I guess I, I guess I do disagree that or wrote that's, it. That's I, fair. I, I guess I do disagree that there wasn't more to offer than just a couple of stories that were meh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I mean? I'm not saying anything was bad. I just, for the most part, cute at best, and only one really stood out where I went, all right, that's one that might. Stay I mean, it was me, basically but. all ages. It was yeah. it was certainly appropriate for for most audiences. Definitely, I think a lot of some of the other voices stuff has been a little heavier in theme, heavier in hitting. Maybe, and this one was definitely lighter, much lighter in tone. Let's move to this week and start with step by bloody step from Image. It's $4.99. It's written by Simon Spurrier with art by Matias Bergara and colors by Mateos Lopez. Ha-ha! <laughs> gotta watch that one. Here's your solicit. An armored giant and a helpless child. Together, they cross an astonishing world, brimming with beasts, bandits, and deadliest by far civilizations. I don't know what that means. Deadliest by far civilization. Oh, and the deadliest by deadliest far, by far civilizations. I, I hate it when they do not put spaces. Right. Like it. They put you a gotta hyphen. put spaces in there. They put a hyphen between foreign civilizations. How do I read that? But, uh, well, they also put a hyphen between. So they also put a hyphen after and. So yeah. it's supposed to be and pause right. deadliest by far pause Come civilizations. On. Yeah. If they stop walking, the earth itself forces them onwards. Why? The child can't ask. She and her guardian have no language, no memory, nothing. Except each other. Multiple Eisner nominees. Cy Spurrier, who worked on X-Men. Matthias Bergara, who worked on CODA. And Matheus Lopez, who worked on Supergirl, present a watershed moment in modern comics. Four double-length chapters of a bittersweet fantasy opus. Completely text-free. Let's take a walk. Clever. I see what they did there. Uh, I'm not going to read these quotes from Jeff Lemire, but let's just say he liked it. Silent comics have got to be one of the hardest challenges a creative team can take on. It's easy to flip the pages of any silent comic and think they didn't even write anything here, leaving the art to do the heavy lifting. Now, I would argue that is a gross misunderstanding of comic book storytelling. And this team probably had to work even harder on this silent story than a book with narration and dialogue. I mean, it's not even something you have to argue. It is, right. a, it is a fact. I guarantee you that this script was pages and pages oh, and pages. I promise you. Just like there's a lot of people out there that are going to pick this up and go, there's nothing here. It was five minutes free. Blah. Well, get the hell out of here. This isn't for you. <laughs> okay. Right. Cy definitely lets Bergara's beautiful art do the work here, but his script definitely keeps the dreamy fantasy story moving along without any confusion from the reader's perspective. There's stuff that's weird, certainly. There's alien things going on. There's monsters and chaos, but you understand they have to keep moving. We just don't know why. There's a tight manga-informed look to the art, but it devolves at times into violent lunacy during the action sequences. At other moments, Bagara shows off gorgeous spreads of his fantastic world with just a hint of the action in the background as the oblivious main character is inspecting a flower in the foreground. It's obvious this team isn't out to make a whole bunch of cash on this project, but I fully expect to see Step by Bloody Step brought up when award season comes around. Putting on a silent comic 
is brave these days, and it takes a creative team with an almost psychic connection to pull it off like they did here. I'm giving this a massive buy it. It was beautiful. Yes, I 100% agree. Uh, this was really gorgeous. Uh, I, I'll say this, though. Uh, I, did, I didn't I did read this solicit ahead of time, and maybe if I had, I would have been able to make some better sense out of some of the things I saw in the art. For example, there is a scene, uh, without spoiling anything, uh, there's a scene where the child tries to run back uh for something and there's suddenly a huge upheaval of earth and it's very unclear why or what happened now i know it's because the planet is like nope turn around sure but also to be fair at that point in the story the child and the armored suit doesn't know either like this is a mystery as to well how do we know that though they've been walking for a long time no because they're confused and shocked and then it happens again and they're still confused and a little shocked, but they're like, and then they start to figure it out. And by the end, you see like the armored creature being like, we, we've got to keep moving. We have to go. Uh, Otherwise, this thing you know, is going to happen. I, 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 I have to look again. I'm not sure I agree with your reading of that. Like I, I, for me, I felt like there's no reason why if they have been walking for weeks or months that they wouldn't know that they wouldn't have had to, they wouldn't have encountered that before. I guess I'm but, talking about the first but, time it ha- we saw it happen, so. Yeah, I mean, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there are a couple of things that happen that aren't explained with the benefit of words that the art beautifully illustrates, but because it's something so strange, it's hard to like make sense of it. So yeah, I, I, I thought that this was absolutely beautifully, brilliantly drawn and told. I did have a couple of stumbling blocks, but that's more because of what's happening in this very alien landscape, not because the story isn't like doing its job. And you stupid. So, yeah, I'm stupid. Yeah, I'm, I'm very stupid. Yeah, no, this is a buy it. This is a buy it for me for sure. It's really gorgeous. Speaking of gorgeous and beautiful, it's Ghost Rider number one. What? From, I know. <laughs> speaking, from Marvel. And you snuck in a speaking of again. Which I'm going to, I'm going because I'm going to talk because that's the joke. It's completely the opposite. It's from Marvel Comics, obviously, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Corey Smith. It's $5.99. Here's your solicit. Johnny Blaze has the perfect life, a wife and two kids, a job at an auto repair shop and a small and a and a small town community that supports him. But Johnny isn't doing well. He has nightmares of monsters when he sleeps and he sees bloody visions when he's awake. This life is beginning to feel like a prison and there's a spirit in him that's begging to break out. Johnny's got a and problem you, and he's out of control. Yeah. <laughs> This is by, again, Benjamin Percy, who is currently killing it on Wolverine and X-Force, and Corey Smith, who has drawn things like Conan the Barbarian, Captain Marvel, etc., etc. And they are going back to basics with the spirit of vengeance in this exercise first issue. Johnny Blaze is back, and all of the things we were questioning when we read the solicit last week are clearly answered, or at least we know why we were questioning them. Yes. I'm not even sure how much of this issue I can talk about without spoiling it, but suffice it to say that things are not what they seem in Johnny's seemingly perfect new life. Spoiler. Well, I mean, that's it's obviously a spoiler. It's in the solicitor. Right. 
Benjamin Percy does an excellent job ratcheting up the sense of tension and dread that we feel along with Johnny as he starts to lose his grip on what he thinks is reality. Is he seeing things or are they real? Who's responsible for the things he's feeling? Why can't he remember the things that happened before his accident? Why doesn't he remember marrying his wife? Why didn't we remember that? <laughs> yes. And when we finally get the moment we waited the entire issue for, the return of the spirit of vengeance, it's like letting out a breath we've been holding for 15 pages. Corey Smith is not the artist I would have chosen for a project like this, and it certainly isn't that his art is bad, just the opposite. But the work I've seen from him on... Other projects like Conan. I mean, Conan, yeah, there might be some supernatural stuff, but he's also done Star Wars. Like, supernatural horror is not, he's not yeah. the guy I peg for this. But the dude understood the assignment big time. And it is not beautiful and gorgeous. When we see the cracks start to form in Johnny's reality, we don't just see surreal imagery or bright colors or floating melty dolly clocks or whatever. What we get from Smith is a waking nightmare on the page. It's gory, it's gruesome, and it's everything I want from a Ghost Rider comic. As Johnny reunites with his demonic other half, we get a glimpse of where Percy and Smith plan to take Ghost Rider in future issues and it's going to be one hell of a ride. Sunglasses. All right. Yeah. All right. Get out of here. Buy it. It's a buy it. It's great. Yeah, I, I, I really like this, but I agree on the art. I guess a lot of it felt kind of stiff to me. before. It, oh, no, not to me. Before it got to the really creepy parts. But I don't know if he was going for sort of a stiffness there. Like, this is all this perfect world that I'm yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe kind of. Because it definitely devolves into something very scary. And I will say, when Ghost Rider does show up, I was like, yeah, that, guy, that kicks ass. I like that. <laughs> you know? Right. So I think he was going for a, a thing, maybe. I did really like this. And this is like what Ben Percy does. We don't need a great big, well, there's a four-part story that leads into the return of Johnny Blaze as Ghost Rider, and it spans through every book in the world. Like, sometimes it's just like, hey, creepy thing going on. Johnny Blaze is there, and uh, yeah, he's still Ghost Rider. Cool. <laughs> That's all I need. I'm giving this a buy it. It just worked. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's the best It's the best Ghost Rider solo comic I've read in years, probably. Deep within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. Let's move from a spirit of vengeance to a straight-up killer with the killer! Affairs of the State, number one from Boom, Archaia. It's $4.99. This is written by Mats with art by Luke Yacamone. And here is your solicit. But just so you know, Joe... And I want everybody to know this. This is intended for mature audiences. It's the first okay. thing they say right. in the solicit, okay? Whoa, 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 whoa. Mature <laughs> audiences. All right. The Eisner-nominated series returns ahead of the upcoming David Fincher Netflix film. Caught and put to work as an on-call assassin for the French government. Killer has to adjust to working with a handler, a partner, and living a life as a civilian. An underhanded target, a City Hall employee, leads Killer and his partner Nicholas towards a sinister web of citywide corruption. But while Nicholas assures Killer that it's all for the greater good, will Killer ever be able to get back to his nihilistic lifestyle, free from debt and government associations? Discover the Eisner Award-nominated series by artist Luke Yacamon and writer Mats, who worked on The Black Dahlia, ahead of the upcoming Netflix film directed by David Fincher. We all know what he has done. Thank you. I kept wondering why the Celeste only referred to the main character as Killer. 
But after reading this first issue, I think it's because he either doesn't have a name or he doesn't identify as a person with a name in his inner monologue that kind of runs through most of the book. Even while working for the French government, he follows his protocols. Don't stick out. Be boring. Keep a low profile. But it seems more to protect his own sanity at this point, as opposed to being a personal contractor dropping himself into a role to follow a hit the killer is actually working in an office and carrying out hits for the government like the garth ennis war book i reviewed this issue is a lot of talking slash thinking heads for the most part but it was never boring matt's script doesn't suffer from the typical odd dialogue that can come from translating a comic from a foreign language in fact killer's inner monologue narration was really good it was nihilistic as mentioned in the solicit but also like very utilitarian almost sort of reminded me of the uh i am jacks whatever from fight club that edward uh i can't say edward norton kept using Yakimo's style is very soft and underplayed at times, but instead of coming off as cartoonish, it almost adds to the realism of the story. The whole issue felt like storyboards for a movie or a TV show is very cinematic in scope. There's one panel that sets up a memory of the main character in Patagonia with a mountaintop gleaming in the sun that looks like it could be just a standalone nature painting at home in any museum. After reading this issue, I definitely want to see how the killer got here, but I also didn't feel punished for not reading the first series. The killer is a gorgeous psychological exploration of a hitman that is trying to survive in his new status quo, and it's well worth the critical acclaim. I am giving this a buy it. I'm looking at this, and I'm flipping through this, uh, and I am trying... Uh, to find a scene, any scene, any page, any word square where Killer is referred to by name. Yeah, and I don't think he by is. By any of the other people. Right. And I think, and again, neither of us have read the original works. Yeah. But if you couple that, with the fact that out of all of the characters in the book, Killer is the one that is the least defined. Yeah. His facial features are very... Um, Even the way he's drawn, yeah. It almost looks like he's he's wearing a mask and other people look yeah, very Yeah, they're, they're very sparse. Yeah. You know, there's there's... His main identifying feature is the fact that he has no identifying features. Right. Like his, Whereas, his partner has age lines and looks old and Right. Appeared. All of the other characters are fully fleshed out. And so at first, like... Like, because I've seen these covers and I thought, oh, that's just the guy's style. But looking at this comic, when I read this comic, I was surprised to find that every other character in this book is fully rendered like a real yeah. person. And Killer is absolutely not. He's got a very sharp, pointy nose and no distinguishing characteristics. Yeah, almost like a other round head. He looks a short kind haircut. of cartoonish. Yeah. 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 He, uh, yeah, he looks like uh, he looks like a grown up Caillou. Uh, that of, yeah. annoying cartoon <laughs> character. And so I think there might be something to your theory that he does not identify as a person. Right. Or, or like we are seeing, we are hearing all of this from his perspective. And he's so good at what he does. Yeah. That he it's is like, detached. He's completely detached. You're not going to remember him if you see him because there's nothing. I mean, like, it's just like, I, I don't know. He's kind of a round face. I guess he had glasses, you know, like. Well, yeah. I mean, and that by, and that might also be a metaphor yeah, for like the whole idea of him being able to. The, to blend in and plain like sight, lay low, right? yeah. But um, I thought that that was a fascinating artistic choice. 
Um, I think the art is gorgeous. I think the art yeah. is very, very beautiful. The backgrounds are lush and beautifully painted. Uh, the back uh, part, the background colors at least are are beautifully painted. Um, everything else is like fully fleshed out, like the architecture. Like this could be, these could be scenes from like some European atlas, right? Like he, like these could be photos from. Uh, like uh, of real places from a book, but like uh, that's just, they're all just beautifully drawn or painted or both. I did think that it was a little bit, you know, it's like we were saying about, about the lion and the eagle. It's, it's a lot of talking and a no action, none. And the difference is I found this to be much more compelling and I don't know why I, maybe that's, it's a personal thing, but I think this high stakes, like, European spy slash assassin stuff is way more interesting than a historic period piece. I don't know. Uh, I, I really loved this. It's a buy it. I, I, I want to go back and read the other killer books. Like this, this was very good. Batwoman, king of the seven seas. Did you know that Aquaman has a posse? And they all fish <laughs> they, uh, hey it's two 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 aquamans for the price of one in aquaman number one from dc comics written by brandon thomas and chuck brown with art by sammy basri it's 3.99 and here's your solicit dive deeper following the thrilling conclusions of aquaman the becoming and black manta when a terrorist in middle america is revealed as an atlantean sleeper agent seemingly gone rogue the aquamans arthur curry and jackson hyde are on the case but it soon becomes clear that the tragedy was not just a single bad actor but the beginnings of a much larger and more dangerous chain reaction and the heart of an explosive atlantean conspiracy if arthur's not careful the secrets he's keeping from mira tula tempest atlantis the surface and even jackson could cause a rift from which the Aquamans might never recover. I don't know which one of those Aquamans I'm mad at, but they better get it together. I mean, they both have some <laughs> explaining to do. My goal for the weekend was to catch up on Aquaman The Becoming in preparation for this issue. Uh, it would have been nice to also read Black Manta, but that seemed less important. But it doesn't matter because neither one of those got done. Uh, but credit to the writers, I was able to keep up without much backstory. Yeah, I wasn't lost uh, at all. Well, there were some things that I personally brought to the table from past story knowledge. For example, the knowledge of Jackson's connection to Black Manta, the fact that he had been training under Mira and Arthur, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, anything from the actual minis that immediately preceded this issue, they are explained. I really enjoy the writer's characterization of the younger Aquaman. He's the son of a villain with a lot of baggage trying to fight against his angrier nature. But being the calm voice of reason isn't exactly what we've come to know Arthur Curry for, so that has a fun contrast as well. Meanwhile, Black Manta is also acting contrary to his usual instincts, but there's a reason for it. Can those reasons be trusted? We will find out. I really enjoyed the art from Sammy Basri. It's very dynamic, it's fun, superhero adventure art. He doesn't reinvent the wheel. He doesn't have to. One thing I especially appreciated about the story so far is the lack of deep mythological yes. Atlantean lore uh, and prophecy. It's like all they do. <laughs> I find that shit so boring. 
And we have seen different takes on it so many times in the past. Like literally yeah. every Aquaman run from the last 10 years has been about some damn Atlantean hidden damn thing. The old gods you've never heard of. There are space Aquamans. Oh my well, God. And what they were doing was trying to do like that Jeff Johns Green Lantern thing where every time we think we know the origin of the Guardians or the Lanterns or the yeah, Colors right. yes. or the people 100%. that came out. 100%. Like, I get it. <laughs> like, okay. And, and like, and just when I thought like, oh, you know what? When Kelly Sue DeConnick came on the book and she was like, we're going to just treat everybody as though they are coming in on page one because not only do you not know what's going on but neither does aquaman yeah. he has no memory i was like great let's do it when the old gods died <laughs> i was like oh no. uh and so it, sometimes i just want a fun superhero story about a couple of dudes that talk to fish okay yeah, yeah. that's all whether or not they have sex with the fish is up to the fish it's consensual hopefully it's a nice back to basics approach to the characters with nice art and an added element of legacy thrown in for good measure. You know, I'm a sucker for that. It's a buy it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think when DC just relaxes and tells a good Aquaman story, it, it, it just tell us a good story. It doesn't have to be thousands of years ago. Like, right. Just relax and give me a good character story. And that's what they're doing here. There's so much baggage with Atlantis that I really don't think anybody gives a shit about. And I think this new Aquaman is a great way to get away from that because he's the son of a villain. There's a story right there. Hey, that makes Black Manta more interesting, too. And quite honestly, I have never found Black Manta interesting at all other than he's a guy with a submarine helmet and Aquaman could probably kick the shit out of him anytime he wanted to. <laughs> so why is he his nemesis? I don't get it. I mean, he's tough. Sammy Bassery. Very good here. And I agree. Solid. Just good superhero art. And sometimes that's all you need. I'm giving it a buy it too. This was fun. Guess what? I'm ready. Prove it. I'm ready. Prove it. Read the thing. It's your read. Oh, is it me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and on Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. But before we deactivate our review powers, they only work when holding hands, just like Fenris. True. We need to pick our favorite read of the pile to enter the THN permanent collection. Matt, what you got? I defer because Joe Patrick Ghost says Rider. he's ready. It's Ghost Rider. <laughs> okay. Ghost Rider number one. Um, All right. I'm I, impressed. I was... Uh, Ghost Rider number one was everything I wanted a relaunch of that character to be. Yeah, like it, it is. It is simultaneously a it is a clean slate, uh, but the clean slate only looks clean because when you like move the pile of clean laundry off of it, you'll find out that it is covered in grime. Sure, uh, it, it's it uh, and. Uh, I, I love the idea that like Johnny Blaze and the Ghost Rider, they are equally like in the dark. They're like, what the hell what yeah. are we doing here? It's fun. Um, I, I think it's great. I thought the art was amazing. Uh, and Cody Smith, I didn't know he had it in him, but like with each new like terrifying thing that happened that Johnny thought he was just that he was just seeing things. Yeah. I was like, Oh God. I don't oh, see God. that creative team did a thing in that book where I thought I did not like it at first where I was going like, yeah. what are we doing here? Like, this is kind of cheese. Yeah. And I went, 
That's what we're going with. Oh, yeah. okay. It was clever. It was clever. But I'm going to split with you on this one. And I'm going to say my favorite was the killer of Affairs of the State, number one, because I want to know more about this now. Now I see why it got the critical reception that it did. I'm curious to read it before we have a movie that comes out. Because I just like to see, like, all right, well, let's definitely see where it came from. Did they do a good job? Did they yeah. move it to the screen well? And the character was so interesting that I've got to see more of this. So I'm going yeah. with the killer affairs of the state. Also, step by bloody step. Woof. Yeah. Gorgeous. Man. You really can't go, can't go wrong with I, any one of those three. Step by bloody step is another one, though, where I feel like a big collected version of this is the only way to do it. Sit down and just live through yeah, it. Go. Yeah. 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 Because I don't know that monthly it works as well. I get why they're doing it. It's time to head to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where a small blood sacrifice to the crystal skull of Cadavis will reveal to us the secrets of next week's comics. Joe, coincidentally, did you know? that the crystal skull of Cadavis is actually a crystal shaped like a skull, not a skull made of crystals. Oh, I thought it was just an empty bottle of Dan Aykroyd's crystal. No, it is not. I mean, that is what the guy I bought it from on eBay is telling me, but there is (laughs) definitely a hole where liquid used to pour out. What Uh, is your must read pick for next week, Wednesday, the 2nd of March? My pick for next week is Radio Spaceman number one from Dark Horse. I just like saying it. Yeah, it's fun. It's to written say. by Mike Mignola with art by Greg Hinkle. Uh, if I recall, Greg Hinkle is the guy that did Airboy, right? We like him. I believe so. Um, right? It's three ninety nine. Here's your solicit. When a ship crashes and lands on a mysterious planet, and some of the surviving crew go missing, the mysterious mechanical hero Radio Spaceman is called to investigate. Correct. But Greg Hinkle, Airboy. Yes. Thank you. But the planet hides much more than the missing crew, and Radio Spaceman must be stumbling into more than even he can handle. Based on Mignola's viral pencil sketches, point of order, they are the pencil sketches that he did during uh, quarantine, mm-hmm. and they are wonderful, and there is a lovely hardcover edition called Mike Mignola's Quarantine Sketchbook, and I want it. Radio Spaceman is a steampunk space adventure full of mystery, monsters, and awesome gadgets. Featuring the amazing art of Greg Hinkle, who has also drawn The Beauty and Black Cloud. And colors by longtime Mignolaverse collaborator Dave Stewart. Yeah, of course. Tell me what else is new. This new series is perfect for Mignola fans, old and new. And I hope it hooks you because it's only two issues long, but I'm excited to read it. Yeah, but that's how Mignola does his stuff. He'll, it's true. He'll kick it out. It's true. Next year, we'll get another four issue limited series, and then we'll wait 10 years, and then we'll get another one. <laughs> right. <laughs> My pick for next week is Strange, number one from Marvel. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Marcelo Ferreira. Here's your solicit A new Sorcerer Supreme rises. Doctor Strange is dead, and a new Sorcerer Supreme has taken the title, or should we say, Sorceress? Haunted by her recently returned memories, Clea longs to bring Stephen Strange back from the dead, but when a mysterious group attacks the magical realm, Clea must rise to the duties of the Sorcerer Supreme, for she is now the sole protector of Earth against magical threats. Don't miss the twists and turns as Jed McKay continues the story from Death of Doctor Strange with art by artist Marcelo Ferreira, who worked on The Amazing Spider-Man. He's great. And the death of Doctor Strange has been non-stop fun. The tie-ins are even great. It has been a fantastic event. 
I can't wait for this to keep going, and I love Clea. I love the character. I love that they're giving her the stage. They're going to do something with her that I can say, see, Joe, she is an important character, you jerk. <laughs> it's not just because she wears cute leggings. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. When have I ever said a bad word about Clea? You were like, wait, the last time we talked about it, you are like, she's just kind of a blank slate, though. I mean, like, why do you love her so well, much? Well, she is. <laughs> when was the last time you read a Clea story? A long time ago. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> The THN trade of the week goes to the All Nighter Volume One. It's a trade paperback from Dark Horse. It's written, um, no, it's 1999. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with art and cover by Jason Liu, friend of the show. Oh, and in case uh, you didn't catch that, here's your solicit: Chip Zdarsky, Jason Liu. Welcome to the All Nighter, the only diner in town where you can get coffee and a meal from sunset to sunrise. The staff are friendly. Kind of. And happy to serve you, sometimes. And it would never cross their minds to drink their customers' blood. Dot, dot, dot. Oof. Alex is bored. Flipping burgers for strangers all night is no way for a vampire to live. But he and his fellow vampires, Joy, Cynthia, and Ian, have agreed to blend into human society. <laughs> Inspired by superhero movies, one of few passions in his own life, Alex decides to don a cape and start fighting bad guys. But his decision will have bigger consequences than he realizes for himself and for everyone he wants to protect. You see, guys, this is how you do it. If you are going to separate trains of thought within a sentence with dashes or hyphens, uh, you got to use two. Two you side by side. Two. Yeah. Although, or an M dash, or a, I think it's called. Or a goddamn colon. <laughs> or a comma. <laughs> yeah. well, like, what is, what's wrong with a dang comma? I know. Seriously. Uh, so this is, uh, I, I've already said their names twice, but they also did the book uh, After Lift. This is their latest comicsology original in print for the first time. It collects issues one through five, and it is a story about found family and a new twist on superheroes. I love this idea so much. Vampires that are bored and decide to become superheroes. I love it. You can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on our Twitter and our Facebook, but you're probably reading something pretty cool, too. So be sure to let us know right there on our post so we don't miss anything good, you guys. Come on! Before we call it an episode, we wanted to give you a special sneak peek at this week's Patreon Extra, where we're playing Ask a Nerd and answering one lucky mystery nanny's Dick Grayson question. She's not just a mystery nanny. She is the mystery nanny, and her name deserves to be in all caps. Here's just a taste of the extra content you have access to at Patreon when you support THN for as little as $1 per month. Hello, loyal and good-looking patrons, and welcome to your THN Extra, where this time we're playing Ask a Nerd. This week, we heard from a person that will only be known as the Mystery Nanny, per their wishes. Mystery Nanny asks, what's your stance on pre-crisis Dick Grayson versus post-crisis Dick Grayson, and whether Dick's effects on Bloodhaven are better than Bruce's on Gotham? Let's, let's a start... With a question. little bit of discussion here, and, and, and let's just set up because not everybody knows if if Joe Patrick, who is our resident DC extra, could lay out the differences I'm, between pre-crisis whoa, 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 whoa. Dick Grayson. You said, you said DC extra. I said what? You said DC extra. Oh, I'm going to say DC expert. Joe Patrick, you are our DC expert. 
why don't we just lay out the differences between pre-crisis Dick Grayson and post-crisis Dick Grayson? Admittedly, I only really know post-crisis. So, well, if I'm being perfectly honest, there are none. Um, post-crisis Dick Grayson and pre-crisis Dick Grayson are essentially the same character. The only thing changed by Crisis on Infinite Earths are maybe some very fine details. Um, uh, it, and it could be things like, you know, how old he was or, or slight costume tweaks. Like, Did he lose the disco collar in the Crisis? Was like, oh, my uniform has been blown off my body by this Crisis. <laughs> no, 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 no. He had the disco collar in the Crisis, and it wasn't until the 90s that he got rid of the disco ah. collar. So... Uh, Dick Grayson as a character is essentially has essentially been um, all, all of the things we know about Dick Grayson. Uh, I would say f- probably from the late seventies through the new teen Titans by Wolfman and Perez um, and into the nineties, Chuck Dixon, so on and so forth. Um, that's all one long arc about the same character. And the only thing different about post crisis versus pre crisis are very minor things that don't really matter. Um, the broad strokes are these. Dick Grayson is uh, Batman's original sidekick, Robin. And at a certain point in his development, uh, when he became a teen in his late teens, uh, he and Batman had a falling out. He decided to step out of Batman's shadow and strike out on his own as his own man and became a character known as Nightwing. Uh, now, it was revealed at some point, uh, and this is a story that has been around for a long time. I don't remember exactly the first time it appeared, but the story is that Dick got the name Nightwing from Superman. Uh, Nightwing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Super, Superman told uh, uh, Superman and Dick were having a heart to heart, and um, Superman told a story of two Kryptonian heroes uh, uh, legendary Kryptonian heroes, uh, kind of uh, not King Arthur types, but you, you, like the types of the types of people from historical folklore that may or may not have been real, um, like a Robin Hood kind of thing. Um, so just like King Arthur. <laughs> well, but but you know what I mean. I right, mean, right, it wasn't right. like old. I mean, we're talking about Krypton here, so yeah. it's not like we're talking like we're talking about two science fiction heroes sure. on another planet. Sure. That uh, decided to take up costumes and code names and. Um, protect Krypton from threats uh, as needed. And they were named Nightwing and Flamebird. Flamebird. Uh, and so... <laughs> I forgot about Flamebird. Uh, there, there was a Flamebird. There was a DC character named Flamebird. She was originally Batgirl. This is not about her, so we're not going to talk about her anymore. Is she dead? No. Okay. Uh, mm, I don't know. Okay. The answer is I don't know. I'm not sure if she exists anymore. Okay. But... Uh, Betty Kane was her name. Uh, they they retconned her into being uh, Kate Kane's cousin or something, um, who is also Bruce Wayne's cousin. It's a whole tangled web. Whoa. But yeah, so uh, Betty, Betty Kane. Betty Kane was the original Batgirl, the blonde-haired Batgirl that predated Barbara Gordon with the yellow outfit, um, and. Uh, she became a, a, a Teen Titans supporting character named Flamebird, and uh, that's neither here nor there. I love that here. you said we're not going to talk about it, and then I—I hey, know it's, I cleverly said one thing, and you started talking. <laughs> it, that's it's, but we're not here to talk about no, Betty. Keen. No, we're, we're not here to talk about Dick Grayson. So, uh, Nightwing and Flamebird were these characters from.
Excelsior! That is it for THN 655. Next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns. Joe Patrick, please unveil our theme. Our Cosmic Long Box theme for episode 656 will be... Pause for dramatic effect. Ladies night! Yeah! Ladies night. Ladies oh, night. yes, it's ladies night. <laughs> feelings right. Next week is our part, more, more accurately, the week of March 8th is International Women's Week with March 8th, Tuesday being International Women's Day. And in honor of the upcoming celebration, we are going to do Cosmic Longbox reviews of our favorite female or female identifying superheroes and supervillains. I mean, we're going to do a men's one too, though, right? I mean, like men, was there a men's day? I mean, what? We just did one. It's called, it's called a normal day. Every day is men's day, you shitheads. <laughs> if you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news that we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Time. It's hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget, if you're having trouble thinking of something to talk to us about you need a little opener we got the question of the week joe patrick what are we asking him this week's question was submitted by mark tarrington via the contact thn exclamation mark link on twoheadednerd.com isn't that exciting here's mark after a recent cycling accident i have been temporarily deprived of the use of one of my arms this got me thinking about characters with an unusual number of arms in comics my question is this who are your favorite characters with an unusual number of arms? This can be more or fewer than the number you might expect given the character's species and can be a temporary condition. My pick, for example, would be Peter Parker in the Six Arms Saga. He looks great with those extra arms. Yes, you can pick Bucky. I've already vetoed that. Yeah. He, Don't he even read says, this part. Say no. He, no. No, he, he says, come on, be creative. You can do better. And I agree, which is why I nixed no characters that have the normal amount of arms because one of them happens to be bionic. Yeah. That, arms or legs. That so, problem is a normal amount of appendages. We want an abnormal amount of appendages. Right. And so we've we've expanded the question to characters with an abnormal number of appendages given their species, whether it's arms or legs or heads. We do need your question of the week suggestion, so please do what Mark did and click the link on twoheadednerd.com. Or you can also do any number of things. If you want to play along with Cover to Cover Live, you can join our Zoom by clicking the link in our Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, or if you want to submit a question of the week, you can either shoot an MP3 or your question to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Or you can leave a message on the THN hotline. The number is 402-819-4894. And you could be internet famous. If you are going to leave a recorded message, whether it is an MP3 or a voicemail, please keep it to two minutes or less. We get a lie out of live callers. And that show is already just interminably long. Yeah. Cool. Just a point of order. We will not be having THN cover to cover this Saturday. So uh, take an extra week off. We will meet you back here on Wednesday for the Cosmic Long Box, and then we will see you a week from Saturday for THN Cover to Cover and the question of the week, regardless of how many appendages you bring to the party. If you're new to the show and you would rather cut off all your appendages and listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough, and that's a weird way to protest. 
The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twittednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron, Jeremy Shaquat, who has not only been supporting the show for a while, he doubled his monthly pledge from $250 to $500 a month. Jeremy, that is amazing, and thank you. If you that matcha, look, hey, look, you can't make claims that great because people will think we don't need their money. No, that's not true. They'll think, oh, if I'm going to donate, i got to make it huge. <laughs> no, they won't. They'll be like, they like, don't need I'm not going to let that jerk Jeremy Jaquat show me up. I'm giving yeah, them $700 a month. I, I don't think that's what they're You don't understand marketing, Joe. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. You may have guessed where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content, or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal. Click the Donate Now button, shoot us some cash, because you are just that damn cool. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the official THN historian, Jason Sachs. By the time you hear this, it will be Jason's birthday. His 36th birthday. Congratulations. We hope it was a great day, buddy. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, your retailer, Mike, just tell everyone that you're turning 56. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.